Welcome. Good evening. We are in a series right now all about Jesus. We are in the Jesus series, and so far we have looked at who Jesus is, like big picture, story of the Bible. We have looked at how we can follow him by doing what he did, and part of that is inviting people to come and see what he is like. We've thought about what it means to be born again, and now we're into week four of our series, and I have been given chapter four of the book of John, and it's one of those stories within it which if I had done Brian's challenge a few weeks ago and told him the stories that I think should be included in a Jesus series, this would definitely have been one of them because it is so good. We're going to read from chapter four as we begin today, and I'm going to read a good chunk of it, so feel free to follow along in your own Bibles, follow the words on the screen Close your eyes and let me read to you whatever you would prefer, but we're going to read it together. I'll just pray that God will help us hear what he has to say to us as we read his word together. God, we turn to this passage, and Lord, if it is familiar for us, or if this is our first time hearing these words, Jesus, would you speak to us? Help us to see, help us to hear what you have to say to us, Lord. In your name, amen. Okay, so I'm reading from verse 4. And it says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? We skip ahead a little bit to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I've just booked a trip to Rome in November for my dad's birthday, and I can't wait. I have seen pictures of Rome. I have seen vlogs travel vlogs about Rome. I have seen the Lizzie McGuire movie. I believe Rome is real. I believe from what I've heard about Rome and what I've seen of Rome that it's a pretty special place. I believe that I am made for a lifestyle of pizza, pasta, gelato, repeat. Yes. That doesn't happen all the time, but apparently when you mention gelato, it happens. I will know this, though, in a different way when I go to Rome. I will walk the streets, I will experience it and know it for myself in a different way. Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but there is a difference between seeing something, even maybe believing in it, and knowing it in your gut to be real. There's a difference between seeing something, maybe believing in it in a sort of, it's a far off, it's a distant thing, it's a little bit of an unknowable thing, maybe I'll experience it someday kind of thing, and actually knowing it in your gut to be real and to be true. I know Partick, because I walk around Partick all the time, every day of my life. I know I love coffee, because I drink coffee every single day. I know when there's a pigeon stuck in the crash chimney, because I've heard that sound so many times before. I know it in a real way. I'm calling this message tonight, See, Believe, Know. Because as we try to follow Jesus in 2022, I think it matters that in a world of spirituality and soul searching and complicated things, it matters that we see the person of Jesus, believe in his claims to be God, and know him for ourselves in a way that is real and life-changing. In his gospel, John is writing to people who didn't get to see Jesus for themselves that they might believe in him. That's us. And he says himself in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants us to get to the point that those people in the story got to where they say, okay, we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. If John's gospel was our favorite sitcom, this would be like an end of season finale, climactic moment. You know, the story's not over. It's kind of to be continued, but the narrative arc has finished in the most beautiful way possible. Roll the credits, get ready for season two, the healing of an official son. I like John, I like his gospel, I like that he describes himself as the disciple Jesus loved, he describes himself also as the disciple who could run faster than Peter, but he was close to Jesus, he was Jesus' cousin, he was Jesus' close friend, he saw so much, he didn't even write it all down, he says the world couldn't 
fit the books that would be written. He saw it, and he wants us to believe, and a lot of his book is unique content. It's like we read through the synoptic gospels, and then we get to John, and it's like the deleted scenes, the bonus material that we get to read and see. He gives us a prologue instead of a birth story so that we would know that Jesus is God. And then all throughout his gospel, he emphasizes aspects of Jesus' humanness. Even in this chapter, he's, Jesus is tired, so he sits down at the well. He's, his disciples are going to get them food. He's hungry. He asks her for a drink. John wants us to know that Jesus really is God, and he really was a man, so that we know that he is the specific Savior, that we need to bring God and man together again. By the time we reach chapter four, Jesus has called his first disciples, he has turned water into wine, the temple courts have been cleared, and then we get to this section of the gospel that has two conversations nearly back to back, except for like a kind of brief dramatic aside to John the Baptist telling his disciples that he is not the Messiah, which is important context as we move on. In chapter three, we've got Nicodemus, we looked at that last week, Nicodemus has a conversation with Jesus. And in chapter four, we have this unnamed Samaritan woman who has a conversation with Jesus. And there are clear comparisons as they're kind of set side by side. They both talk with Jesus alone about spiritual matters, about the nature of who God is. But there are also very clear contrasts that we know. Nicodemus came at night. She talks with Jesus at noon. A conversation in the dark, a conversation in the light and the heat of the day. A, a Jewish leader up here on the social cultural ladder. A Samaritan woman somewhere down here on the social cultural ladder. A religious insider, a religious outsider. Two conversations. And we can hold them side by side and we can see that Jesus' mission is to both. He loves the queen, he loves your noisy neighbor, his message is for both. But we can see in these conversations too, like different endings play out. For Nicodemus, there's, it's almost like a kind of cliffhanger. He is told by Jesus, you need to be born again. And his final recorded words to Jesus are, how can this be? But then in chapter four with this woman, the story leads us to this place of a clear conclusion. There's questions and then they come to this conclusion, we know, we've heard for ourselves now, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. We see all throughout the New Testament that once people knew that, it changed everything for them. And then through them, the Pauls and the Peters of the world, through them, many people come to know who Jesus is for themselves. So whether you are out like floating in the ether of considering Jesus for the first time, or you have grown up in church, or you've been around church for a long time, but suddenly you just feel a little bit like unsure, or you're trying to follow Jesus, but something else has kind of snuck in, whether it's apathy or a distracting thing or something else that you want and you're not sure how to reconcile these things in your life anymore. My prayer for us today is that God would simply help us all, no matter where we are at, to move closer to that life-changing conclusion that we might know and be sure that Jesus really is the Savior of the world. Is uncertainty inevitable? Or can we see Jesus, believe in Jesus, know that he is who he said he was? If we follow the breadcrumbs in the story, firstly, what do we see? We see Jesus and a woman. We see a private conversation, a conversation that we shouldn't be able to see because we weren't there. I've just recently finished re-watching Friends again, and in an episode of Friends, you'll have like the characters, the actors doing their thing. You might have a studio audience. You've got some canned laughter. You've got the viewer at home with their feet up. 
And I think sometimes I read stories like this in the Bible as if they're a little bit like an episode of Friends, you know, that maybe there's an audience kind of there that I just can't see. And or it's been staged for viewers at home. It's been staged for millions of readers that were going to come and understand deep theological things about it. But it wasn't a staged event. It was a real event. It happened. And it was just the two of them at the time. It's been remembered and it's been recorded, but it was a private conversation. In John chapter 3, 16, Jesus tells Nicodemus and us that he is God's plan for the world. And I think sometimes when it's like, okay, there's one savior for the world, and that is our message, then we can kind of like push it up and out there and a little bit beyond ourselves as if like, okay, yeah, it's one for the world. I am only one of very many. Jesus is maybe a little bit like Harry Styles. He's out there. He's real. I kind of like him, but I'll probably never be in the same room as him. I know of him, but he won't know me properly. But then we see God sit at a well and talk to a woman as she goes about her day-to-day life. So maybe Jesus isn't a Harry Styles sort of savior, but more the Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner sort of savior. Jesus initiates conversation with her. She's surprised because as far as she is aware, his Jewish maleness, her Samaritan womanness would have made that culturally unlikely. She thinks she has a grasp on who he is at the start of this story. She says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. But he keeps surprising her. So she keeps questioning him. She says, how can you ask me for a drink? Why aren't you behaving the way that you're culturally meant to in this moment? You have no bucket and the well is deep. How are you going to get this living water? Basically, do you think you can do something that's impossible? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you saying that you're somehow superior to what has come before? And Jesus wants her to consider who he is, who it is, who is asking her for a drink. So he does a bit of an object lesson with the well, and he says that he can give her living water. It's not the first time that God would have referred to himself as living water throughout Scripture. Just one example, in Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. A well goes deep and taps into a ground source of water like a spring. A cistern is basically, as far as I'm aware, like a man-made big bucket. And a broken cistern would be a big bucket that doesn't even hold the water that it can collect. And God is saying here that we've dug our own cisterns, we've dug our own holes in the ground, we've dug our own buckets, but they're broken. They don't even hold the water that they get. And Jesus is pointing to himself here and saying that he is a better source of life than a well would be or a cistern because it doesn't, he doesn't need to tap into any other sort of source of life. He is the source of life. It's him, himself. He is the only source that doesn't run dry for us, the only source that would not run dry for her. And so she wants that water. She says to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. She wants what Jesus can give her. And maybe you're drawn to God, wondering about God because you want peace or because you want hope, or because maybe you've got a friend who knows Jesus and you see something in them and you're a little bit captivated by it and you wonder if you could maybe have some of it yourself. We might want what Jesus can give us. A lot of us start there, come back to there, but 
Jesus wants us to know who he is, who he really is, so that we want him, so that we find life in him, so that we find that water that won't run out for us. It gets personal in their conversation. There's a change of tone. Suddenly he says, go call your husband and come back. Now, I sat with this for a while this week, asking, why tell her that? Why say that? As we read on, we see that Jesus knows her situation. He knows she doesn't have a husband. Why tell her to go call her husband? Because he's going to reveal himself anyway. So why not just reveal yourself? Why tell her to go call your husband? And we look back at this so many years later, and we see a, a timeless truth here that is so valuable. We see, okay, this woman has a, like, she's in a cycle, and it's broken, and it would have been one culturally that would have heaped shame onto her. It would have been difficult. She suffered. We see that, and we see, okay, Jesus is kind to her. Jesus reveals himself to her. That reveals something incredible about who God is, and we see that timeless truth, and it's amazing, and I want to take hold of that, but I'm also like, but Jesus, why did you do it in the first place? Like, what was your reason? Did you have another reason because at this point then, she has no more wordy answers, and she's no more questions at this moment in the story. She just says, I have no husband. It's like he struck a chord. And then he goes on to give that word of knowledge to say, okay, you've had five husbands. The man you're now with is not your husband. Yes, what you're saying is quite true. And she does maybe what we might be tempted to do if God goes after our heart and she changes the subject. And she once again thinks she knows who he is. She says, okay, yes, sir, I see that you are a prophet because she thinks he's a prophet, she treats him like a prophet. And she starts to theologize. You know, you're a prophet, then your role in this is to solve theological disputes. So here's some thoughts on worship. What's the answer? And they talk about worship. And then she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Basically, nice to chat to you. Interesting thoughts about worship. Someday the Messiah will come. He'll have the answers. That's good for now. But then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the Messiah right here, the one speaking to you, the one who initiated conversation with you. I am the Messiah, not someone far off, distant, other hope still to come in the future. I am your hope right here and right now. Before he mentions her husband's, she maybe thought he could get her some magic water. Apparently back then they did think that Jacob's well, the water there, did have mystical qualities. She perhaps wanted something from him but didn't believe in him yet. But after the husband word, when Jesus reveals to her who he is, she quickly believes that he is more than a Jewish man, more than a miracle worker, more than a prophet, because she sets down her water jar and she goes to the town. It's like Jesus' supernatural knowledge has unlocked belief for her. And we see that this is a key for her because Jesus speaks to her about something that in the narrative, like it's a moment and it passes, it's brief, it's only about one subject in her life. And yet when she goes to the town, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. As if that word that he had for her spoke right to the heart of her situation, right to the heart of what was at the center of her life and her experience and her suffering and her desire everything I ever did. And maybe you can think of the equivalent in your story. 
the thing, if you could just be seen in that area, if you could just know that God sees you in that area, it would change everything for you. In Jesus, this woman meets the God who sees her. The same God who Hagar named the God who sees me in Genesis chapter 16, when she too meets with God's kindness in a time when she is hurting and broken. And the gospels are full of stories, full of people healed and helped when they met with Jesus, who then say, come and see the man who did this thing for me. And I've heard so many stories, so many different stories of people in our church and who come through our church who uh, have had belief unlocked for them by different things that have happened. Maybe they've been healed in here. Maybe pain's gone away. Maybe they've seen breakthrough. Maybe they've had an answered prayer. Maybe someone has spoken a word of knowledge to them. In fact, I've heard many stories recently of people who have been drawn in, drawn closer to God, whose belief has gone up because they've heard something either spoken through a prayer word that's given on the screen or spoken from the front through a prophetic word from a friend through something that's been shared elsewhere where they've heard something spoken to them that only God should know. And they have known, okay, God sees me. So it matters that I pay attention to who he might be and how I might want to respond to his love. Feeling seen by God is so powerful. We know that. You probably have examples of that in your own life. And a side note, if you're someone and you have friends or you have family or people in your life or you're desperate to see people come to know who Jesus is, there is every chance that God wants to use you and do something through you that would unlock that kind of belief for someone too. Because he puts his Holy Spirit in us and he enables us to do the things Jesus did in a way that might unlock belief in Jesus as well. Maybe it is gonna be that you're gonna hear from God, you're gonna deliver a prophetic word just like Jasmine was talking about earlier, or you're gonna be on the prayer team, you're gonna pray for someone and see answers, you're gonna pray for healing for your friend and your workplace and they're gonna get healed. I don't know what it might be, but God wants to use you in that way. And no matter your story, be encouraged today that Jesus sees you. And not just like how everyone else sees you or even your closest friend sees you. He sees you. He sees every part of you, every pain, every struggle, every victory, every good thing, every good memory, every bad memory, every source of shame. He sees you. And the same God who sees you died because he wanted friendship with you enough to die for you so that he could take every pain, every struggle, every source of shame and carry it on himself so that you can be friends with God again. He sees your mess and he wants you. It's like the upside down way to the way the world works or the way we feel like our earthly relationships can work where we want to hide ourselves or we want to hide our shame. Jesus sees it and he wants us and he accepts us and he died for you. If you find yourself asking could this be the Messiah? Press in, it is possible to know. Nicodemus says, how can this be? She says, could this be the Messiah? Jesus is really clear. He says, I am he. I am the one. I used to picture this woman at this point like running off to the town and that's her gone. You know, her life is forever changed and she's gone and she's out of the story. But she says, come see. She would have brought the people to Jesus and she would have been with them at the point when Jesus stays with them for two days 
And then they conclude, we know for ourselves now that this man really is the savior of the world. John 4, this story that we read tonight, it's a story of two declarations. We've got Jesus on one side saying, I am the Messiah. And we've got the people on the other saying, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And we see that in John 4, we see that this kind of knowing, like an inner conviction, okay, Jesus, you are it. There isn't another like help or hope coming. You are it. It changes things. It changes everything for us. In John chapter 6, Jesus had been teaching his disciples about himself, saying, I'm the bread of life, saying he's the, the only way for eternal life. And at this point, John writes, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It was a hard teaching. And he asks the 12, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. They had spent time with Jesus and they had become convinced that he was their one specific Savior, that he was the Holy One of God. And in light of that, there was nowhere else they wanted to go. Maybe you're like, how can I know like they knew? Because then their lives, they just lived out of that knowing. Everything was different for them. How can we know like they knew? And it's a good question, and there's a lot to be said. But two things I see here. Firstly, I see that it's a choice. That Jesus turns to them, he reveals himself to them, he turns to them, he teaches them, and then he says, are you in? Are you with me? And they say, because of who you are, because of what we've seen, we're in. We're all in. They choose that, and then they live out of that choice. And I know every day, we can choose to say, Jesus, there is no one else for me. And then everything else in our lives has to bow to that. Secondly, we see that this kind of knowing grows. For the Samaritans, they urged Jesus to stay so that they could hear some more from him. And for the disciples, they came to know who Jesus was over time, over time spent with him. The more they saw, he did signs, wonders. He spoke to them, he taught them. They came to know who he was. I know, I know now in a different way to how I knew when I was 17. I've just banked a little bit more evidence. I've got a little bit more life experience. I've seen a little bit more of how Jesus has worked in my life and worked in other people's lives. Every week I come to church and hear stories of answered prayer. It's like my knowing grows more and more. Our knowing grows over time, just like our trust in people grows over time as we see their character displayed consistently. Our trust in God grows too. So if your knowing is growing, stay close to Jesus. Stick with us here. Don't try to do it on your own. Retrace his steps. We can't go back in time and walk with him and talk with him in the flesh, but we can retrace his steps. We can read and reread the gospels. We can soak up his words, weigh his claims. And just like you get to know a person, we can get to know a person by getting to know a person. We can spend time with him and get to know him. And the really good news is that Jesus is the living God. He is alive. And although he is not like walking the streets of Glasgow right now in human form, he is alive and he is the living God who knocks at the door of your heart. And at any time, you can choose to let him in and to every day get to know him more. I believe today that just like with this woman at the well, on whatever day that was, Jesus wants you to see him, believe he is who he said he was, and know that he is for the world and he is for you as well.
a couple of challenges for us, and then I just want to pray. Firstly, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if you're already living out of that knowing, then revisit your testimony this week. I'd encourage you, like, mega bonus points if you can write it out, like, the long version, because I think it does us good just to revisit and remember that and go back to that. But go to your long version of your testimony and also try to write, like, a short version. Basically, your version of what she did when she says, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see the God who healed me of this thing. Come and see the God who helps me know who I am. Come and see whatever it is for you. Write out the short, like, post-it note version of your testimony this week. And then if you're unsure, for whatever reason, let us pray for you to meet Jesus this week. Go up for prayer. Let us pray for you in just a second. Respond to Jesus tonight and just meet him with that thirst, that hunger for the living water. Just say, yeah, Jesus, I want to meet with you. I want to know you. You have permission to come in to my life. I'm going to pray for us right now, but just before we go into a time of response, will you stand with me and then... Um, we're kind of ready for what's next. And if it helps you to focus your mind, uh, you can close your eyes. Holy Spirit, help us to respond to your word. Help us to respond to what you're saying to us. And God, I just want to pray right now, um, Lord, would you make us want this living water? God, in the midst of so many other buckets, <laughs> and things that we can dig for ourselves. God, would you just give us a thirst for the living water, Jesus, that only you can give us, whether we've known you for years, or whether we don't know you at all, Lord. Turn our hearts back to that. And God, right now, I just pray for anyone in this room or watching online who wants that, who wants what you can give, who wants that living water. Jesus, would you meet that want with more of your presence? Would you pour out your living water? Would you come into their life? God, for anyone who hears your knock, hears you calling, knows that you want their attention, knows that you are drawing them to yourself and wants to open that door, Jesus, I just pray that you'd come in and make yourself known and meet with them this week in a way that is obvious, in a way that they can testify to your goodness. And if you want to give your life to Jesus tonight, or turn back to him, maybe after a time away, or just to turn your heart back to him, you can pray along with me just in your own heart right now. Jesus, I need you. Thank you that you died to save me, that you see me, and that you love me, and that you want me in your family. I accept the gift of life that you have for me. Forgive me, make me clean, make me new, help me to follow you all the days of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I turn to you, I give you my life. And in your name we pray, amen.